You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith, and this is an episode that features a conversation with a Melbourne-based, Queensland-originating artist, Dan Parsons. Dan's brand-new album is called Sunday Morning Cinema, and that's the reason for the conversation, to promote that. So why don't we have a listen to what Dan has to say. Here we go. What's been going for you? Uh, otherwise, before we kick off and start talking about the album, because I really do like the album, but... I understand you're from my part of the world, and it's increasingly rare for me to talk to an artist from Queensland, so it's always a thrill to chat to somebody who treads the boards in my part of the world. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been good. It's actually been a pretty crazy time, um, to be honest. Uh, lots of change and, um, uh, you know, yeah, lots of shedding of certain things and gaining of certain things, uh, but um, it's been um, a good time for music, good time musically, um, yeah. and... Uh, I suppose um, this has been a good a good time to kind of just focus purely on uh, on this album and getting it out and um, trying to give all the tracks as much kind of um, I guess what's the word um, you know um, give it a bit of a push importance as yeah. they deserve yeah that's right yeah gotcha so you've been going for some time haven't you you're not exactly new to the scene I understand you've been playing no. playing God probably for a lot longer but. Certainly, the from what I could see, you go back about five to eight years or so. So, what's led up to the release of this album in here? And is this album here, Sunday Morning Cinema, is this the penultimate Dan Parsons album? Is it the what? Sorry. Like the when I say penultimate, wrong word to use. Is this the ultimate Dan Parsons album? Is this the the release that you think really summarizes the music that you've been intending to release up to this point? Um, I actually reckon it does. Uh, I. I dare say that most artists that you would ask about their most recent album may say that about their about their most current work, but I really do feel like this is um, uh, an album that kind of rep- represents what I've been trying to do, or at least what I'm really influenced by, and has kind of been it's, it's distilled itself in such a authentic and kind of meaningful way that um, well, I've not really had to try very hard, um, fortunately, with the um, the uh, writing of those songs and, mm. and particularly the, the execution of them with, with my band um, in the studio was so seamless and so effortless that it just, it finally felt like, uh, it sort of felt like, oh, wow, this is, so this is what it's like, you know, this is what it's like to actually have, um, you know, the recording process go, uh, go well for, you know, for, um, for an artist, you know, not not to imply that everything else that's gone before it has been a real struggle, because I've had some really great experiences with with past records, and they they mean what they mean, and they mark a certain time, which is really which is really important. But this the 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 the, the work, the uh, the recording process, and the personnel, I think, lined up really well for this album. Mm. Yeah, you know you're on the right track when you don't get a lot of obstacles. I know a lot of people talk about obstacles inspiring them to create greater art, but it's never been my bloody experience as a musician, I can tell you. It's uh, it's either been really easy or really bloody hard to the point where you almost give up on some projects, but it's really heartening to hear that the powers that be up there in the ether gave you an easy ride with this because the album has actually found a place in my life, and I love giving artists and musicians this kind of feedback. I, uh, I've got two kids, as I, as I might have alluded to, and, and I, uh, I try to get them away from screens, iPhones, iPads, just bloody 
they're almost I'm not going to say native to it, therefore addicted to the bloody thing, but there's it's it's a pointless exercise putting them in front of a TV or an iPad because they're just captive to whatever the program is that's beaming information to them. So I try mm-hmm. to do lots of different things with them, like build models out of clay and draw and make model aeroplanes and Ironically, this wasn't planned, by the way, but it was Sunday morning and we had on the first cut to your album and it was such a beautiful accompaniment to what I was doing with my kids. And as I say, I really enjoy when music finds a place in my life and that's a place that you found that your music has found in my life when I'm entertaining the kids and when I'm having fun with them doing arts and crafts and the like. So do you get a lot of feedback about the meaningful way that your music does find its way into people's lives, like the one that I've just shared? That's really cool. Oh, that's so great that that's what's happened. Um, uh, and thanks for telling me. That's really nice. Um, nice. Yeah, uh, there have been some stories like that where people have um, people have found some that themselves in a situation where my music's kind of been the the soundtrack to it. You know, which is um, something. It's kind of like the ultimate compliment, really, as someone who makes music. Um, because I know myself what that's like to have. Um, Falling in love with a song or an artist because of the combination of what you were doing at the time and with the music playing kind of in the background or being, you know, as I said before, the soundtrack to it. So, hmm. yeah, that that's happened a few times over the years. And uh, whenever somebody, you know, shares a story like that or tells me that that's that I think uh, the most um, recent one, apart from what you just told me, was the someone that um. Uh, lost someone in their family and uh, was going through a hard time and apparently they they put one of my albums on pretty much on repeat just to kind of get them through through that experience so that was really really touching and um mm. but I, I i don't know i kind of i kind of get it not 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 the fact that my music would be perfect for that or anything like that but just sort of i know i i retain way more information about music and i can listen actually more to the music ironically when i'm not listening to it intently you know it's kind of like um yeah passive passive listening seems to do more for me than sitting down um with the sole purpose of like trying to listen to music for just for listening to music's sake you know that yeah that's a really really good point that one there and i've often found that the best releases they're, they're albums that you can listen to in a you know, you're lying on the bed and you've got the headphones on and there's a lot of layers and textures and it's very engaging that way. But the best releases, and I'll venture so far as to give you that compliment with yours here, it's something that you can put on in the background and it's not intrusive and it adds to an occasion. Oh, that's awesome. Well, thank you. Yeah. Oh, well, I wouldn't say if, it, if, if I didn't mean it, mate. Believe me, I get a ton of new releases and it's hit and miss, to be frank with you. I, I will never talk ill of anybody, but some releases, I think some of the bands... You made a point earlier about, you know, the most recent release being the ultimate, for you here, the ultimate Dan Parsons listening experience. And I think some bands have got a long way to go before they get to that point. And I don't know whether they'd even be honest enough with themselves. I, I am with myself, and I know that I've been a part I've been a part of some, some releases that are nowhere near, like my last release is in 2011. <laughs> and uh, I've just been too busy working and family life and all the rest of it. But that's nowhere near the... The ultimate statement of the music that I'd like to release. I'm, I'm a funk and disco guy at heart, so I'd love to do yeah. a project, and I've been trying to get some musicians together to do that. But it's just everybody has great intentions, as you know. But 
that's what I was talking about earlier again about that that pathway in the ether the powers that be in the ether giving you an easier pathway to record a wonderful album like what you've got here I haven't had that experience yet and I'm looking forward to it when it does actually happen for me yeah it's well said well said it's it's really one of those things that's kind of like finding love it usually just sort of finds you when you least expect it or when you think that you're never gonna experience it like i think um um what happened a little bit to me was i i kind of um stopped giving as much of a shit to be honest Mm. um about six months before i recorded the album i felt I was still very much engaged with music and with songwriting and with playing live around Melbourne and touring and whatnot, but trying, I just sort of, I don't know, I kind of let go of the reins a little bit, little bit less than I had in the past. And being a somewhat of a control freak, I kind of had gotten used to thinking that the amount of stress equals the amount of quality that mm. comes out of a project, you know? Mm. And, that had never really, I mean, it had served me to a point, but it also served me to a fault as well. And so kind of finding myself in a situation where I didn't really uh, have the energy really to focus every last bit of energy onto this project or the songs or the recording of it and try and wring the kind of the washer dry of like inspiration. I just, I actually gave me more, uh, room to um, to play, you know, particularly with the band and to play with the songs and to play with uh, just everything. Nothing was kind of predetermined at all. It was all up in the air. And once I let go of all those preconceived kind of, um, you know, notions that I may have had before, it, it, it was scary, but I could, the results were instant and they were instant enough for me to go, aha, uh-huh, I think this is, this is the right thing. I've got to just kind of have fun with this and, you know, I'll entrust that I'll know when something's not working, hmm. but also have the, um, have the foresight to kind of let something just become whatever it's going to become. And to be honest, playing with a band, um, I've never really had a, a regular band before. I've had people that I've brought in to play with me on recordings and I've had people that have been brought together to cobble together a band at the last minute for a tour. But hmm. I've been playing with Robin Waters, um, Alex O'Gorman, and Bree Hartley for about um, a year and a half to two years now, and uh, these are the people that I decided were going to be my core band, and uh, we produced it together. You know, like that—that's really it's—it's a—it's a—it's a band production. I mean, I wrote the songs and made a lot of decisions, but um, all the parts and all the kind of flavors that you hear on the record are, are the culmination of all of our kind of musical styles and. Um, you know, um, influences kind of coming together. So that was that was a first, and that was really a great relief for me uh, to to just to just be the songwriter, you know, and be the singer and play guitar and have those guys really just do do their thing, and me not not having to sort of um, yeah, like project manage, much. yeah, project manage what they're doing using a corporate term. But I understand exactly where you're coming from. And if you don't mind me using this expression, it sounds like you got out of your own way and just let the music flow and you allowed yourself to connect to your muse. And even by extension with that muse, you allowed the right musicians just to be drawn to you without you needing to go through all of the rigmarole of bloody stressing over who's in the band and whether or not they're going to do a good job for you or not. You just trusted the right people were in as a part of the process. Exactly right. And it just makes it so much easier when 
someone's musical inclinations are are a spot on, you know, like for what you want to do. I didn't have to coach them or tell them anything. They just they're just professionals and they've got a great feel and, you know, they wouldn't be perfect for everybody's project. Like they're not they're not session guns where they can kind of adapt to any sort of style. Although I'm sure they probably uh could do pretty well. But they just do they just do this thing really, really well. And that's like um I'm very lucky. There's a beautiful picture here of you and your 69 Cortina that I'm looking at on Facebook. That's got to be a strong candidate for an album cover in the near future, or at least a gig poster, that one there. Uh, yes, oh, that, that's, that's, a, that's a great... I mean, inside it, having a cigarette. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. I, I love it. It looks like it's taken around about Redcliffe somewhere. Uh, just judging by the median strips on the road, it's probably not, but that's what it reminds me of when I look at it, and it looks like it's the 90s, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, but... It was uh, late two thousands, actually, oh, and um, there, yeah. yeah, but it was definitely in Brisbane. Um, I don't know where it was. I I've, I've got Lutwich Road, I think, but I think it might actually be um, Sandgate Road, maybe on the way to Redcliffe. <laughs> there you go. Okay, yeah, it's got that vibe about it. I'm just looking at the trees, and I love the fact that it's yeah. in black and white as well. It seems to, oh, to use a fairly familiar expression it seems to be more alive because it's taken in black and white of course i know the 69 cortina it suits that but just the the vague way you're holding the steering wheel the almost relaxed way you're holding the steering wheel i mean and and mm. the the cigarette there and you've still got your eyes firmly fixed on the road but it's a nice metaphor for it's all ahead of you the road's all ahead of you yeah that that's true that's awesome <laughs> um yes it was uh, they were good days i, I missed that car <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm building well I'm getting a bloke to build a Rambler Hornet for me, so I'm a bit of a uh a late sixties, early seventies, a muscle car buff. Um Awesome. Yeah, yeah, it'll be nice when it finally bloody arrives after four years or so that we've been doing it, but uh <laughs> it's a story for another time, that one there. Mate, the album any any themes or concepts that you've purposely as- associated with the lyrical concept content? Um, well, the album, I, I, I suppose, is, um, I suppose it's the, probably the constant theme is, um, a breakup, I guess. Um, I wrote a lot of those songs around the time when that was all going on. And, um, and, uh, if it's not about a breakup, then it's about, uh, wanting something you can't have really. Um, and, um, getting into kind of, uh, looking at, the other side of of you know what what might be or what what can't be but you think might be good <laughs> i guess yeah. and um and not not settling for for what you know what you've what you've got i suppose is also a pretty strong theme um but then you got like weird songs like codeine which is literally about just being pretty high on codeine <laughs> <laughs> and then you've got a song like rodeo pony which is kind of an experiment in in whimsy you know it's not really meant to be taken very seriously it's just a kind of a yeah it's just a kind of a cool a cool jam hopefully you know um but yeah those those are the two themes that i reckon would be pretty strong through through the album um and uh i mean as my as it always goes with my recordings have a lot of introspection and reflection and stuff like that but um yeah do you do you hear that yeah, I'm definitely hearing it. I'm definitely. I'm, yeah. I'm. I don't have a lyric sheet, but I was listening to Codeine, and I thought, yeah, there's probably got to be something going on in there. So I hope you don't mind me asking you this question here. But 
Look, I, oh my God, I'll be brave as well. So um, in the past, uh, taking of certain substances has allowed me to aspect part of my psyche, which has certainly opened me up to, to things that I think have ultimately been beneficial. So do you find the same thing happens for you with your musical muse? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I've never really been one to kind of write songs under the influence of anything, to be honest. I, I've always just gotten distracted in the end. Um, yeah, at the end that's of the day. true. But um, I don't know. That was something which um, musically kind of existed for a while. And then I actually got sick, pretty, pretty sick during the winter, and the doctor just kind of gave me this um, prescription. <laughs> so I was on that getting better and sitting on the couch and I think um, the whole thing just kind of tumbled out together at the same time. Hmm. Um, you know, just thinking about, I don't know, I was just thinking about how strange the whole thing was, like that you could like have um, have this kind of elixir that would make you feel a certain way and it was made by man and put on the shelf and then here it was in my hand and I was enjoying it and so I just thought, I don't know. It was just I just wanted to write about. I mean, I'm making it sound really mundane and pedestrian now. It's supposed to sound like kind of um, like a trip, I guess. But it, you know, it's just one of those things. No, it is what it um, is. Yeah, yeah. It is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Look, I, I think some of my most productive uh, occasions have been when I've had a flu, for example, and I've taken old formula Codril, which of course has yeah, pseudoephedrine yeah. in it, and the amount of work that I've got done has been. And you know why? Because it's effectively over-the-counter speed, methamphetamines. Speed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but the amount of work that I've got done and the quality of the work too has been great. So it's yeah. it's got its place. That's the thing. People talk about this stuff and, I, you know, we sort of have got to legislate and put rules in place for the lowest common denominator. So, for example, during Prohibition in the 20s and 30s, because a couple of people couldn't handle a drink, nobody could have a bloody drink. And these days, mm, because right. a few people can't handle illicit substances as they are known, I don't call them that. Yep. I'm just talking the, the the vernacular that people use them in the in the public uh, dena- domain. Uh, but things like totally. LSD, uh, marijuana strains of certain marijuana uh, leaf, um, all of these things act as a tool to enable you to achieve your goal if you've got artistic purpose. And yeah. um, I, I don't use these things willy-nilly these aren't things that i do because i want to have a grand old saturday night it must be said these are things that that i use and i know a lot of other people are in this boat too because they're trying to achieve something and they know that they can achieve it through through this medium if you want to call it that yeah yeah that's right you know um oh totally i mean it's they have their place i mean that's the thing like taking a, a thing like codeine or any kind of down a drug allows someone that's got, you know, a predisposition to anxiety allows them to kind of feel comfortable. And when you're comfortable, you actually manage to get a lot more work done, I think, or you can kind of be more productive, I think. And that's what, but that's what that song was trying to get get to. It's not supposed to like glorify it or make it sound like it's this thing that people should be doing or anything. It was just a, I mean, I certainly have felt um, terrible doing it, but I, I felt pretty good at the time. Allowing me to kind of, um, you know. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't think you. It. It just sounds like you're talking as a matter of fact. It doesn't sound like a. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not like JJ Kale's. Is it JJ Kale? No, it's yeah. Well, JJ Kale's cocaine. The song, or was it Eric Clapton? Yeah, yeah. One, yeah. I think it was a few people that performed it, but I'm pretty sure it was 
JJ Kales initially. Um, he wrote it. Yeah, it's it's about the drug. There's no two ways about it, and it's become a standard. You can go into an RSL club and bloody hear it, but yeah, these you've you've got to be. It's people have their own perception on these things, and the great comedian Doug Stanhope famously said there are only two types of people who oppose drugs: those who suck at doing them, and those who haven't done them. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's that's pretty much nails it because as a musician you've got to have an open mind about these things and historically speaking if you go back to the Beatles, Black Sabbath, Pink Floyd for God's sakes, Pink Floyd without the use of LSD and other substances you simply would not have this wonderful music which is going to live on through the ages No that's true It is true, that being said if I took LSD and tried to write a song it'd be pretty fucking shit out. <laughs> yeah look i've never tried that but uh yeah i think what it does you have the memory of the experience and then you use that when you become creative exactly yeah yeah well yeah. said yeah. yeah so on the album i'm hearing and it's, it's a broad palette going on here i'm hearing of course there's country but that's a lazy descriptor in my view because there's a lot more going on there blues yeah. roots indie acoustic music and I could probably say old school R and B as well throughout the album. But where did you draw your inspiration from? Um, well, like you just said, there's not really any one place. I don't think. I mean, I, I think um, for, the, for the band songs where there's like a for this, the addition of drums and bass and keyboards, I think for this album more than any other one, I I really focus on rhythm more than anything else. I mean. Uh, songs like He Goes Nothing and Rodeo Pony, they're all driven by a, a, what I feel is a pretty great rhythm track. And um, that's something which I, if you were to look through my Spotify um, recent playlist, you'd probably find that most of the songs that I'd be listening to would be ones with like a really great kind of backbeat, usually half down, like Levon Helm from the, from the band. He has like a... You know, he's like my favorite drummer because he he makes every song kind of dance a fair bit with the way he plays. And yeah. I, I think that's why I was so stoked initially playing with this band was because I didn't really need to say too much about, I didn't need to coach anybody to play like that. You know, Bree naturally plays drums that way because she likes a lot of the same music and that's kind of, she feels the beat uh, behind where the beat usually falls. Uh-huh. And, uh, Alex O'Gorman, he is, he's a great like a bass player in the tradition of Duck Dunn and uh, Rick Danko and all Beautiful. like James Jamison from the Motown sort of era. He's really, really that's where I, like that's that. where I heard the R and B sound in the bass and drum dr- drums right there. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned it. Yeah, yes, exactly. I, and that's that was such a pleasure because I didn't need to say anything about that. It just kind of was happening naturally. And actually, here goes nothing was a good example of that because that started out as like an indie rock song. I was trying to like sort of make that go in the direction of. Um, someone like Cass McCombs and we were about to sign off on it during one of the last rehearsals and um, Alex the bassist piped up and said well I don't reckon this is really working that well and um, having kind of worked with those guys in rehearsals for the last couple of weeks with great results I I said okay well you know what do you how do you think it should go like what's what's your idea and he looked at me and he said well what would JJ Cowles and I said, I don't know, he'd probably halve it down and slow it down. So we just tried something like that. And it basically was the way that you hear it on the recording straight away. It, hmm. it just felt so much better. And it was more, more of 
really what I wanted to do, even though I didn't think of the idea. It was something which made way more sense to me. It just didn't come from me, which um, was kind of the best thing about it. As I said before, um, getting out of the way of myself for this whole process was uh, probably the thing that made it, in your words, the ultimate sort of, uh, you know, Dan Parsons album. <laughs> yeah, cool, mate. All right. Mate, I'll make this my last question. This is a cracking release. It's If you don't mind me saying, it's going to be a hard act to follow. So what are your plans uh, for, the, for the, not so much the near future, because I, you're going to be touring and you're going to be performing a lot of the cuts off this excellent album, but say the next five years, what do you think the next five years may hold for you? For the next five years, that's a good question. Um, well, I hope to go to America. Um, hmm. I hope to be able to spend a decent amount of time um, in Australia and also in America touring this this music and uh, really dedicating myself to to doing those particular kinds of um, you know that, that sort of travelling and that sort of lifestyle. I, I can do that now. I'm, I'm sort of freed up, so to speak, to do that and. Um, uh, I think I just really hope this album gets heard by a lot of people because I'm so proud of it. Um, and, uh, I just feel like this is going to be a good, a good couple of years. I've got a good feeling about it and I'm prepared yeah. to do sort of whatever it takes to be honest, to get, to get over there. And even, I mean, I'm not finished in Australia by any means. I haven't even started in Australia, you know, I've, hmm. as you said, I've been around for a while doing this work and that's, great and i'm so grateful for the people who listen and know me and like what i do but you know i'm gonna i'm gonna be around here for a lot longer i've got i've got many more things to do and many more places to play and it's just getting better which is a great feeling because as anyone knows who plays music you know it can often feel like you're it's an uphill battle but um you know i think uh i think um it's gonna be uh, a little more like uh, the recording process and the way that it just it feels hopefully it's going to feel effortless and like I don't have to try too much to get things to work because I think I think finally my music's found um, the right the right uh, you know um, I think I've found the right home for my music now and I reckon that these songs are going to hopefully um, you know do do the work for me. Mm. Well, you've you found a great groove, and I hope it goes keeps on going for you, mate. And you know, social media and all the rest of it—that stuff's bloody hard. I get that. I've had a few conversations tonight about that. It's just, you know, do you even know if it works? Social media when you promote your your page and a release via Facebook? I, I don't know. I mean, can anybody prove that it actually reaches the audience you're paying for it to reach? These are all. I know. I got no. Yeah, it's tough. I think the only way you can really do it is by getting out there and performing in front of people and good old-fashioned word of mouth with it with an album like yours. And that's the thing with this album here. It could almost come from any era over the last 50 years. And that's a strength. Oh, well, I'm glad you hear it like that. <laughs> you know, it's well, it's it's an album that isn't locked down to the sounds of 2018. You haven't used production techniques or songwriting now, or a songwriting narrative that sort of screams 2018 like a lot of urban music and hip-hop does and some of the heavier stuff like in the right. deathcore and metalcore genres. It, it's, That's right. It's, you, you've, you've 
who was I listening? Leonard Cohen. And you, your stuff actually sounds like it would be okay on a playlist. It'd work well on a playlist with guys like Leonard Cohen, Bob Dylan, who's coming to Australia soon. It'd actually work in with that, and that's a great strength. So you've got to rest on your strengths, mate. So I imagine you could pretty much tour with almost anybody, and you could also play in front of almost anybody. Well, uh, yeah, thank you very much. I, I hope you're right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll see how it goes, mate. You can only put yourself out there and see what agents and promoters come back with an offer and if it's a decent one for you to get over to Europe and to get onto some of those um, yeah. some of those smaller festivals over there that revolve around um, carnivals, if you like, particularly in the States. There's a big scene over there, mate, with the, uh, oh, I can't remember what they call county fairs, country fairs or yeah. county fairs. You'd be great on them. They'd love to see an, an, an Australian artist like you over there. Oh, I'd love that too. Well, time will tell. <laughs> hmm. Well, thanks very much for the chat, mate. Uh, congratulations again on an outstanding release. I know it's it's found a place in my life. It's gonna it's one of those albums that's a go to for me when I'm playing with the kids, as I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation. But it's important that I think you get that feedback that it it does find a place in people's life because I know it's not always easy being a musician. And uh, just keep on doing what you're doing, brother, because I'm sure you'll you'll achieve greater success. Oh, thank you so much. It's been great to talk to you. <laughs> thank you. You have been listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith, and that was a conversation that featured a fellow by the name of Dan Parsons. Thank you so much for listening.